This was recorded live at Trinity Church in San Juan, Puerto Rico. For more information, go to trinitypr.org. All right, good morning, Trinity. Uh, if you would, open your Bibles to Psalm 121. It's also in your bulletin. Uh, let me begin with a little bit of introduction. In uh, 2007, Harvard Press, Harvard University Press, uh, produced a book, uh, the author's Charles Taylor. It's called A Secular Age. It's one of the most important books that have been written in a while. And what he sets out to do is describe how the story of the West, Western civilization, was secularized, right? How faith and religion has retreated from public spaces. See, 500 years ago, it, the imagination of an average person, it was virtually impossible not to believe in God, a God. Didn't make you a Christian, but you just believed that God existed. 500 years later, our present day, it feels almost impossible to believe that God does exist. Like, what changed? Right? So he sets out to kind of trace that. And one of the things, one of the shifts that he notes is how we see life. How we see life. Like, the, the mega, mega questions that we ask. Where did we come from? Why are we here? Where are we going? And when a properly secular person asks those questions, there is no coherent story. In fact, they would say stories, right? Postmodern would say stories are just social constructions, vestiges from the past they are trying to press you. And so they might respond to those questions by saying, you know, humans are the product of millions of violent chemical reactions, plus a few mutations, plus a bunch of time, and therefore life has no transcendent meaning. All we have are constructed social meaning, right? Meant to impress you. And when we die, those chemical bonds that keep us together will give way to entropy, we'll lose energy, and then we'll just cease to exist. Now, that explanation, that is a story. What I just shared with you is a story. It's just not a good one. And you know why? Because it doesn't give the storyteller any purpose. It doesn't give us meaning, right? There's no script where we can see ourselves in the story and saying, I was made for this role. In fact, it only confirms under the guise of science that there is no true meaning. And that sociological development in the last 500 years or so is a contradiction to the way that humans are depicted in the Bible. See, the brilliance of the Bible is that it provides profound answers to our most important questions, like where did we come from? Why are we here? Where are we going? It answers those questions through a story. And it's a story that gives us incredible purpose. And it assures us that our lives, in fact, aren't random at all. And the primary metaphor to, expl to explain the human condition, according to the Bible, is life is a journey. And we are pilgrims or travelers, right? We're not nomads. We're not wandering. We are going somewhere. And we are all together traveling to a better land. That's how we're sort of depicted. That's the narrative, the story that we see. And so that 
story, that we, the one that we're pilgrims and travelers, it is actually intellectually and existentially way more satisfying because it makes sense of our lives. It makes sense of the things that are most important in our hearts. The Bible definitely sees us as pilgrims. And so today, we are going to study a psalm for travelers, for pilgrims. And the Bible doesn't only call us pilgrims or travelers, but it gives us nourishment for the journey, for our voyage. So we're going to look at Psalm 121. And um, if you'll remember, there are 150 psalms, and some of them are organized together. From Psalm 120 to Psalm 134 is a section called the Psalms of Ascent, right? And the way I would describe it is it's like a mixtape for a road trip, right? You remember how we used to make mixtapes with our favorite songs to get us pumped for our trip? Well, Israel every year had to make three trips to Israel for, or excuse me, to Jerusalem for religious festivals. And so the Psalms of Ascent are the playlist for those travelers. It's about, and Psalm 121 very specifically, which we're about to study, is a song, when they press play, it told them that God is their keeper as they travel. He is their watchman, their guardian. Now, I don't know how that hits you, right? I, I don't know if you think you need to be kept, but something weird has happened to us on this journey. See, in February... We were all doing our thing. I mean, life wasn't perfect, but we were trucking forward. And then rumors of COVID. You remember hearing about this thing, that, this development in China? And then all of a sudden you heard that Italy got taken over. And do you remember where you were when you heard about the first case in Puerto Rico? Do you remember that? Do you remember the anxiety, the shutdown, the questions With a single headline, we learned this. We are not in control of our lives. The illusion of control is over. And guess what? We need a keeper. We need a keeper. We need a watchman. We thought we could keep ourselves, but we have woken up from that pipe dream. You are not your own keeper. This life's a journey. And we need a keeper as we travel. We're going to study eight verses. This is Psalm 121's eight verses. Six times the word keeper or keeping is used. Six times in eight verses. So we're going to play this song on this playlist from ancient Israel. And what we're going to find is that it is an incredibly relevant song for modern travelers. That's what we're going to find. So we're going to ask, how does our keeper keep us on this journey? And we're going to find that he gives us, the song gives us two implicit travel advisories. The first is, for you note takers, be careful with the cliffs. Be careful with the cliffs. And the second travel advisory is be careful with the elements. The elements. All right. With that as our uh, framework for studying Psalm 121, I want to invite you to stand in reverence to God's word. And let's give faithful attention, reverent attention to Psalm 121. It reads like this. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. 
The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God endures forever. May this song be blessed for you and me. Amen. Have a seat. In my former life, I was in the Air Force, and I participated in this training called SIRI, which is like survival, evasion, resistance, and escape. Basically, it's a training that they give airmen in the event that they're in a plane that goes down in enemy territory, how to escape and get back to safety. Or if you do get caught, how to survive that. So I was a part of this training, and, and it re- included for me... I was dropped in the middle of hundreds of thousands of acres in the mountains of Colorado with nothing, very little gear, except a topographical map and a compass. And the goal was, is to get to a checkpoint which represented safety. And that checkpoint was represented by a little glow stick, all right? One little glow stick in the middle of the mountains, and you had to find it. Now, on your map... That glow stick, that checkpoint is marked. I know where that is, but I don't know where I am, right? Because I was blindfolded and dropped in the middle of the mountains. So how do we figure out where we are? I know where I need to go, but how do I know where we're going? Well, what you do is you look to the mountains, and you look to the peaks, and using the topographical map, you begin to triangulate to identify where you are currently located. And then you get, you get going, And we would only travel at nighttime in the dark because there are these aggressors who are trying to find you, who are trying to get you. And it's too easy to be caught if you travel at night or during the day. And so when everyone was sleeping, you had to travel through the mountains, right, by yourself. And I could remember, I mean, it was a little bit creepy. And I could remember thinking, I am so glad that while the enemy sleeps, I'm glad that God doesn't sleep because I would die out here, right? And we would count our steps to know many, how many miles or kilometers we had traveled. Now, why do I begin with this story? Do you know how the pilgrim in Psalm 121 knows where he's going? He sets a heading by looking to the mountains, right? Jerusalem is situated in the Judean hill country. And so no matter where you're going on, on, to get to the festival, where you're going to Jerusalem, where you're, excuse me, Wherever you are living, as you travel to Jerusalem, it is definitely upwards. So you look to the mountains, to the hills, and you travel in that direction. Now, that's why in verse 1, look, the singer begins. He says, I lift my eyes to the hills. But then there's this clarification. Look there. He says, from where does my help come from? Well, the answer is in verse 2. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. See, Jerusalem, sometimes called uh, Zion or Mount Zion, is the hill that's being referenced there. He's lifting his eyes up to Mount Zion, the Temple Mount. Now, why is this significant? It's because when you're journeying and traveling in in Israel to Jerusalem, there are other mountains too, right? There are other mountains in addition to the mountain where you're going to. In ancient Israel, it's not obvious here, But all of the pagan worship was actually in the mountains that were on the path on your way to Jerusalem. And every Israelite knew that all the competing pagan altars were in the hills. So as you're traveling, do you need protection? 
Well, get off the path and stop on some random hill. Make a sacrifice. You want company, protection, blessing? Pick your flavor. Pick your protection. Temple and cultic prostitution? We're in the hills, right? That's where you go. So they're like these big old billboards as you're traveling saying, exit here for blessing and for company. And if you're just miserable enough as you're traveling, you might be tempted and seduced to giving in. But beware, there's a travel advisory. It's a cliff. And so you need someone to keep you from death. So where does my protection come from these seductive cliffs? Verse 3, he will not let your foot be moved. You see that? Now that language of like your foot slipping there in verse 3, it's a double entendre. So if you're traveling up a mountain, you don't want your foot to slip, right? You don't want to go backwards. So he's saying he's going to keep you. But also the biblical imagery of foot, feet slipping, that imagery is actually a reference to sin. He's going to keep you from sinning. So he will not let your foot be moved, verse 3. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber or sleep. Now, that like God not sleeping, taking a nap, that's actually a reference to this incredible story in 1 Kings chapter 18. It's a story about Elijah versus 450 prophets of Baal. And they're having a contest to see which God would act and, and hear their prayers. And so you have these two competing sacrifices. You got Elijah on one side, the prophets on the other side, and they're going to see which God responds. And so the prophets, the Baal prophets, man, they start crying out to, their, to the Baal and they're beating themselves and nothing's happening. Like nothing is happening. And so Elijah starts to taunt them and they're like, hey, is your, uh, is your God like indisposed? Is he like using the bathroom right now? Is he taking a nap? Do you need to go wake him up? He starts taunting them. You know, and that's why this reference to like their God sleeps. And then, of course, Elijah was like, hey, pour a bunch of water on my sacrifice and make it hard. And then he prays and God consumes his sacrifice. This incredible fire right away. It's an incredible story. Our God doesn't sleep. Our God doesn't sleep. And so on this highway of life, as we travel, where do we look for help? Which set of hills? And who is it that you expect to be your keeper? Listen, I know that we don't make any sacrifices at altars in hills. I know we don't go to temple prostitution, but we look for help in all the wrong places. We do, and we need our eyes to be redirected and to be refocused. You'll notice, look again back in your text, in verses 1 and 2, you'll notice that all the verses are in the first person. He says, I lift up my eyes. My help comes from the Lord. But then, starting in verse 3, all the way to the end of the psalm, it's in the second person. It's the you. He says, he will not let your foot be moved. He, will, he who keeps you will not slumber. Now, why do I bring your attention to that little grammatical shift? The primary way that we feel God's support and his keeping is through each other. It's the you. We are reminding each other. We're saying, God won't let your foot slip, you see. There's a kid in Texas. His name was Lee, 16 years old. He started getting really sick. I mean, really sick. And his parents didn't know what to do. And he got so sick, they had to hospitalize him. And so there he was in the hospital. They had two or three days worth of tests. And it turns out that Lee had Crohn's disease. And he had this moment where he was alone in his 
uh, hospital room, and the doctor comes in, and the doctor has like no bedside manner. He picks up and takes his folder, looks at it real quick, and he goes, Crohn's, huh? You're going to have a hard and sometimes a miserable life. And he drops the folder, walks out. Now, like, Lee is crushed. But it wasn't long until his grief turns into anger. Because he's a good kid, right? I mean, he honors his parents. He's faithful to his church and to the Lord. He's mad. And he is on the brink of taking his eyes off the Lord. Because he's saying, what's the point? What's the point of staying on this really hard journey? Right? His father notices him and sees what's going on. And he goes to Lee and he says, Lee, your mother and I are going to stick with you every step of the way. Lee, I love you, son. But I can't beat this for you. I can't fix this. Lee, son, you're going to have to take this to Jesus. You're going to have to take this to Jesus. His father was that fellow traveler who spoke to him in the second person. You're going to have to do this. He needed a traveler to remind him of the truth, and you do too. You're not strong enough. It's one of the reasons why here at Trinity we push small groups so hard. It's easy to be isolated. See, small groups are a place for us to look at each other and say, take it to Jesus. Take it to Jesus. He will keep you. It's a place where you're noticed. It's a place where we speak truth over over one another. You, because we're together as we travel together. All right, let's transition to our second travel advisory that we see here. So the first is that be careful with these seductive cliffs, right? Don't go to the wrong mountains. And the second is um, an advisory on harmful elements. And so let me revisit some of the lessons I learned in Siri in the survival training. So I mentioned earlier, they dropped us off. We had no idea where we are. We had to get to our target location undetected by the aggressors, by the enemies. We can't get caught, right? And so when we were dropped off, we had no food and no water. We had like these canteens. We had to make our ways down to rivers, fill up, you know, find a water source, drop iodine tablets in the water so we don't get Girardia. And um, and the reason why like you needed a water source is because the sun... It's great when you're at the beach hanging out with your family, but it becomes an enemy very quickly. It becomes torturous. Hiking miles with no water, you realize the sun is not on your side. So not only was the sun dangerous to us, but sunstroke, um, right? Um, But there's also this phenomena of being moonstruck. I could remember that. Remember, we couldn't travel during the day. We only traveled at night so to avoid being captured. And when you are traveling, and the only thing you have are like shadows that the moon's causing you in the middle of who knows where you are, like your mind starts playing tricks on you. I mean, it starts messing with you. Like every little branch starts looking like a snake, right? Every like shadow you're sure that it's an enemy, someone going to get you. 
Every dark spot in the ground, you're sure, is an endless pit that will lead you to your death. I mean, it starts messing with you. It starts messing with you bad. The word for moon in Latin is luna. That's also the word for it in Spanish. It's from where, in English, we get the word lunatic. Lunatic, right? Being moonstruck is like going crazy from disproportionate anxiety or overly exaggerated fears. Everything seems worse than it is. I bring this to your attention because as we travel in this life on this pilgrimage, God is keeping us from the elements, from the sun and the moon. Look at verse 5. He says, the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. So that's protection from the oppressive sun. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor, look verse 6, the moon by night. So God keeps us from sunstroke, but also from being moonstruck. So the sun represents real hardships. And, the, and being moonstruck represents irrational fear of real hardships. Right? Y'all see that? Let's just use the current pandemic as an example. Listen, we, um, we all have friends who have gotten sick. And a few of us have people who we really love who've actually passed away. And uh, some of you haven't gotten sick yourselves, but um, your families have been wrecked because of the economic realities. And you don't know if you're going to be able to bounce back. It's creating all kinds of havoc in your life. And some of you have friends or maybe your own children whose educational goals have been wrecked. And, and they don't have the privilege of just waiting out a semester. And it's causing real, real hardship. People are going through a hard time right now. And so both the sick and the, what I'll call the economically or educationally sick, they're experiencing real hardship. And they're not in control. And these things, this season, could really crush them if they did not or if you do not understand that the Lord will be your shade from the sun. If that reality that the Lord will give you that relief, his presence with you, if it doesn't relativize this hardship, it, would, it could crush you. And so Psalm 121 is saying, listen, God will be your shade from the oppressive sun. There's a story, um, there's this woman, her name is Susan, and this was mid-2000. This is a woman who has had years and years of faithful ministry. This woman has touched so many people's lives. She has led so many people to the Lord. And uh, turns out she got the diagnosis of cancer, and it was pretty advanced. And so she had to do the chemotherapy and the radiation, and it didn't look good. But after a couple years of fighting and losing her hair and all that comes with it, she beat it. In 2005, she beat it, and her cancer did indeed go into remission. So her family's there with her, celebrating with her. But she says um, to her family, she says, I am afraid that God is preparing me, though I'm quite thankful for the remission, but God is preparing me for more suffering. That's what she said. And sure enough, that was the July, it was in July of 2005, she got the, the news of remission. That Christmas, that following December, getting her family ready to go to church that morning. And um, they were caravanning, and she's in the car, and a young boy turns a corner, just foolish, and hits her head on, and it snaps her neck. 
and uh, she's paralyzed. And she's paralyzed for the rest of her life. And she is in a wheelchair. But here's what I want you to know about Susan. If you were to go to her house, you'd find two things. You'd find a wheelchair. You'd find her worshiping in a wheelchair. But you'd find this plaque. And this is a plaque that says this. Whatever my God ordains is right. She believed Psalm 121. She believed that the Lord was protecting her. In it, it, while she's in a wheelchair worshiping the Lord, whatever my God ordains is right, she believed it. And we are invited into that faith. But what I love about this psalm is that God's care is not just during the day hours, not just 12 to 6. It's all day and all night. It's protection from the sun, but it's also protection from the moon. Listen, you guys, COVID is making us all crazy, like all of us. We, we can obsess about it. We, we bite at one another from a place of fear. We're constantly trying to pr- prove that whatever side of it that we're on is the right one, and we all have our doctors that we cite, and we all have our statistics that we cite. We're all, like, biting each other. And here's the point, is that we're moonstruck. All of us are moonstruck. And it's not that we shouldn't be absolutely responsible and cautious with COVID, right? We work tirelessly. Christians work tirelessly to give up their own preference for the other. Christians have always been known as being model citizens who give up their rights to serve and love the other. Of course we should do that. But the 24-hour news cycle is making us crazy, and it's keeping us anxious about all the wrong things. We fear the death of our children, and, and of course we should be precautious, but it actually pales in comparison to other sicknesses that are much more aggressive. Did you know that one in two marriages will be sick with divorce? Psychiatrists and psychologists and sociologists have been telling us just how that disfigures us. Just ask a person who's been through divorce. It's disfiguring. If you get caught with that, it is so harmful. Did you know that 8 of 10 children will be exposed to pornography before the age of 15? The DSM-4 has been telling us how early exposure to pornography disfigures us. Adverse childhood experiences. They're telling it's going to ruin you, right? Eight of ten. We'll be sick of that, you know? What's calling us to action? You know, it's crazy because we'll, we'll, like ch- we'll say, child, don't eat a Twinkie because there's a GMO. Right? We're so careful, but then we'll give that same child a smartphone. Right? Like we're, we're anxious and vigilant for all the wrong things, you see. When we experience fear for our children or for ourselves, is it a proportionate fear? I mean, what is the sickness that threatens to disfigure us? We most certainly need to be vigilant for sure, about COVID. There's all kinds of things we need to be vigilant for that are way more likely to disfigure us. What's calling us to action? 
Listen, you guys, this life is a journey, and it is really dangerous at moments, and there's sometimes where we're moonstruck, a misguided anxiety. We're vigilant about the wrong things, or not enough things, perhaps. So this song gives us this travel advisory. It says, be careful with the elements. Hardships are coming. The sun will beat you down. The Lord's presence will be there with you. But it also says disproportionate fear will creep into you. You'll be moonstruck. And how do, we get, how do we relativize that fear and that anxiety? How do we do that? Do we look around? Do we, do we look for peace and calm by reading the news? Do we look inside? Well, hey, we just got enough resources to fix this? No, what we do is we look up to the hills. We look up to the Lord. And that provides the shade and protection from both the sun and the moon, you see. All right. Would you just let me use my final point as my conclusion here? So Psalm 121 reminds us that we're, the best way to understand this life is a journey. It tells us that God is our keeper as we travel. And as our keeper, there are these two implicit travel advisories, right? Watch for the cliffs, right? Keep your eyes on the right mountains. And then watch and be careful with the elements, the sun and the moon. Now, one of the most interesting features of Psalm 121 is that when you read it, there are no commands. There's no imperatives. It's not telling you to do anything, right? It's this traveling song a play on our playlist, and it has some of the most beautiful and if not most grandiose promises that you can find anywhere in the whole Bible. And they're so beautiful, the idea is that it's forcing your eyes upward. Look at the very last part of this song, verse 7 and 8. Look what it says. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Now, if you'll notice in these last two verses, the whole psalm is in the present tense, but it switches now to the future tense, right? And see that? The Lord will keep you. He will keep your going out. What does that mean? Like God's going to keep us like from all evil? Like, he's going to keep my life? Like, there will be no tragedy? What is it saying? Is anyone convinced that God is our perfect keeper? Yeah, me neither. (laughs) It's hard to believe because those promises don't seem to align with my experience in this life. This is not God as I've experienced him always. And I wonder if I wonder if we're thinking about God like a genie. I wonder if that's what I've done. See, when we see God as a genie, it creates this false dichotomy. This is what it does. It says, either God is with us, and I will have no trouble, which never happens, or we have trouble, which therefore means God is not with us, right? But that's not what, that's not what Psalm 121 is getting at here. That's not what it's trying to tell us. Of course the sun will be hot. Of course the gravel will be slippery. It will be grueling and dangerous. But the promise of Psalm 121 is this, that no injury, no accident, no distress will have power over us or separate us from God's purpose to us. And I need you to believe that. The only serious mistake is to believe that God got bored keeping us, that he fell asleep at the wheel, that he looked away. 
Now, why can I say this so confidently? When Psalm 121 tells us that God is our keeper, listen up here. It's just an echo from a story in Genesis 4. Y'all remember that story about Cain and Abel, right? So Cain kills Abel, and the Lord asks Cain, he says, where's your brother? And Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? And that's a rhetorical question. He's like, no, I'm not. But Jesus answers that question differently, doesn't he? In the New Testament, Jesus picks up the mantle, and he likens himself to a shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd. I am the keeper of the sheep. Yes, I am my brother's keeper. No one can snatch them up from my hands. I will lay down my life for them. And that is precisely what he does. And his death secures our life. And the anguish and pain and even death of Jesus means that your anguish and pain and death cannot be separate from him and his purposes. Jesus will keep you from your going out to your coming in from this time and forevermore. Amen.